0: Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tester's Island Discs, a new podcast for a new year, 2021. Might have started off quite similar to 2020 for a lot of people so far, but the year is young. We're one month through already. And in 2021, we finally have a podcast schedule to speak of. We're actually now scheduled to come out on the, I believe it's the fourth Monday of every month. It might be the last Monday of the month. I guess we're going to need a month with five Mondays to get that as a test case. I think March has five Mondays. We'll see. But uh, expect us near the end of the month, every month. In a busy year for us, which is going to include us hitting episode 50, finally. Uh, I know Richard Bradshaw promised us a special treat when we got to episode 100. He promised we might get a podcast from an actual island. So uh, another 50 or so episodes to go. But uh, today we're talking with Deborah Reed. Deborah is a lead tester for Bloom and Wild, where she works with the full stack, both front and back end, and a number of supporting apps. And in normal times, you can find her as a regular attendee of testing conferences and events, including being a mentor at the London Software Testing Clinic. Happy New Year, Deborah. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on Happy New Year, but hello.
1: Hi. Yeah, I think if you haven't yet spoken to somebody, um, we need something to be a little bit happy about. So yeah, definitely. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and again, yeah, in, in, the, in this time of all times, happy third lockdown. Yay. <laughs> As someone who works in predominantly online retail, obviously retailers have had a difficult uh, 12 months, um, but online retail has had its own challenges, I guess.
1: Definitely. Um, I think from um, Mother's Day of last year, so that's a that's a really big peak for us. A lot of people buying buying flowers, sending flowers. Normally, we would go back to business as usual after that, but we really didn't go back at all. We just sort of stayed in that peak because that's when um, COVID and the first lockdown happened, um, and so because no one could. No one could really predict what happened same as with each of these mm. new scenarios you can't really foresee that too far in the future so um it definitely affected um us workwise the first thing is we were very lucky to still um, have our jobs I am still um, very grateful even on days when um you know things are frustrating and you can't go many places just staying grateful that um I've got my job but also when you look at the number of people that were sending and receiving flowers because they couldn't go and see their loved ones whether they were isolated or ill or celebrating something or cancelling celebrating something mm. so de- demand just skyrocketed basically stayed in a peak mode um and the availability of our bouquets was uh, initially affected because it was very difficult to get more stock in ready for this unexpected high demand
0: yeah you can't magic flowers out of nowhere
1: no, exactly. And also because some of them we import from overseas and of course overseas was also um, affected by the, uh, by the struggles um, and the percentage reliability of Royal Mail dropped um, because everyone was sending things um, by post and Royal Mail have been doing an amazing job but um, still delivering uh, what they can in these um, tough times. So I won't say it's been easy, but um, we are very lucky that um, flowers and plants are very popular.
0: <laughs> yes. And I mean, it's, it's beneficial that there are obviously certain holidays that you can point to that will be peak season, but it has been really difficult over the past nine months or so to predict when the spikes are going to come for some businesses. I know myself personally, I'm in the, the insurance comparison business and we expected to see a drop off in in people, you know, trying to find new car insurance policies because people aren't driving as much. But actually, because we allow you to save money by, you know, saying how many miles a year you drive, for example, people are realizing actually my mileage is massively down. If I, you know, put a, lo- a number of new quotes through saying oh, I'm only driving uh, five thousand miles a year, not fifty thousand, you know, how does my price change? And it's it's been really hard to to predict.
1: Yeah, it's definitely affected um, things that we couldn't have expected. So, you know, I don't think beforehand we'd have thought that there was an a that, that there was a requirement to have um, flowers for like when you have to cancel your wedding. Um it in good old days that didn't happen so much. But a lot of people obviously had plans over the last eleven months or so, um, and I think a lot of people who are um, isolated, who are having to um, to to shield or be by themselves, I think people are being very generous in thinking of those people and sending something to them, which is, it's just lovely to be able to be part of that process of putting a smile on someone's face in these tough times.
0: Yes. I think it's fair to say that the the web itself as a whole has coped admirably after those those frenzied early weeks in March, when you had to queue on the Cardo website at 3am to get a a shopping slot. Um, The the days of queuing on the internet used to just be for Glastonbury tickets, but now sometimes (laughs) it's for the weekly shopping. Um, I noticed there was a let's just say a major UK beer retailer. They don't need more promotion <laughs> from me, but they did a weird thing this week where they just started giving away free beer on their website, which means you went onto their website and you were the 40,000th in the queue. It was like, well, you bought this one on yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are very lucky. We've got a really great team that do our scaling and they base that upon when, the, when we expect to have high numbers of customers on the website. So we had a, um, a TV um, advert during the Great British Bake Off last year. And that was a really big slot for us. And we, um, you know, some of us logged in during the episode to not only sort of enjoy the excitement of watching it together, but also to just keep an eye on things. And we could all be there just in case there was a problem. And we were very lucky in that enough teamwork and um, preparation meant that the website and the apps were completely stable during that time.
0: But as fun as it is to talk about performance, that's not actually why we're here today. We're going to get around to talking about the topic of accessibility. We're going to get into quite a deep dive on it, something we've not done uh, for a long time on the podcast. But before we do that, let's remind you of why Deborah is here. Deborah has been cast, marooned on a desert island where you can bring five songs that best represent what music means to you and things that are important to you in your life. Deborah, what's the first song that you've brought along with you?
1: so the first song is called wonderful um, by gary go Um, i first heard this years ago Um, it's got a really um nice beat to it it's it's happy it's a bit about um self-love if you're here when you listen to the lyrics um and it's a bit less popular so i don't know if everyone will have heard of it but hopefully it'll be something that um, a lot of the listeners uh, enjoy as well
0: and all your
1: ammunition's
0: gone run out of fuel To carry on You don't know what you want to do Cause what you want does not
1: want you If what you want does not want you And you've got no pull to pull you through
0: That was Gary Goh with Wonderful Deborah Reed's first selection on the podcast today. So we are here to talk about accessibility. Um, I'm not going to ask you for a dictionary definition, Deborah, but a lot of people, when they think of accessibility, they jump straight to things like screen readers for people who are visually impaired. There's a lot more to it than that, though, isn't there?
1: There is a lot more um, to it than that. It's um it's about making the content, whether that's um, web or app or, or otherwise, as, as usable as possible. Um, and that's for that's for as many people. Um, and there's lots of different types of disabilities. So, um, yes, some people who are uh, very, very visually impaired will need to use a screen reader. But you can have other um, disabilities that affect your other senses. So whether that's um, your ears, perhaps you've got... Um, hearing aid like I do. Um, It could be that when we say a visual disability, it could be that you struggle to see certain colours rather than just everything. Um, So it's a really wide range topic with many different types of disabilities um, involved.
0: It's also, I would say, one of the lesser understood illities. I think when we think about things like um, usability and all the other non-functional requirements like performance and security, uh, people tend to understand them better because they are directly affected by them. They can know what it means when, you know, you have poor security or the site is slow. Accessibility is sometimes hard to put yourself in the shoes of.
1: Definitely. And I think it's something that um, I think more people are affected by than we realize um, because, it, it's not just about um, a permanent disability so or even something that you would think of as a, as a disability. So if, for example, you are lying in bed watching a video on your phone and your partner or your baby is next to you trying to sleep, you might want to be able to watch that video with subtitles and not have the sounds disturb the person next to you so that you are someone that will benefit from subtitles. And that's not necessarily a disability, but that is a way... To, to think about it and in, in, like you said, it makes it more applicable to more people, but it also makes, it, sometimes some, using a c- case scenario like that can make it more relatable to people. And then you're, then sometimes that's what product managers or um, business analysts need to hear in order to have that button pressed to, to get something like that. I wouldn't say fixed, but to add it as a feature.
0: Mm. Uh, I can certainly relate to the, uh, the subtitle side of things as someone with a nine month old baby, the amount of TV that I've watched with subtitles <laughs> this year is incredible down to the fact that I've used um, the translation service rev before for some of my stuff. and I know that ministry testing have used it before as well. Uh, I think still do, um, but I can spot when people have been using rev because their, their subtitles are done in a particular way, in a particular style. And you, I can, I can see that now. Uh, it's also weirdly recently, this is another tangent, but uh, <laughs> I've been forced to uh, get into Paw Patrol <laughs> And um, the subtitles for Paw Patrol are using the American um, script, whereas the the British voices, if you have it with the British dubbing on, you can see where they've changed words. Sometimes it's just they use, if, it's, if they've got soccer in there, they'll use the word football. But oh. something, it's, it's noticeable that the subtitles say things like wicked a lot. And whereas the actual words say, said by the British voice actors is great. You could you see that they've softened American dialects in the, uh, it's, a re- it's a real eye opener. Yeah,
1: I definitely think that um, if subtitles aren't quite right, it can actually make the experience worse. So like you say, if the wrong, if different words are used, it can really confuse reading something different to what you're listening to. Equally, if they're completely out of sync, um, I find that very... Very discombobulating. (laughs) I think also there's other things like um, if you have an eye infection, um, so you can't see fully out of one of your eyes and you just need things to be that bit bolder and bit clearer. So having a bright yellow button saying "buy now is a bit easier to see than, you know, Mm -hmm. dark gray on a black background.
0: I think you brought up a really important point, which is it's very hard to, to quantify exactly what it means to have a disability. I know there was a, a tweet that you shared recently that I think I've seen it knock it around before. I think it's been relatively fact checked that says something like 17 percent of the world's population um, declares themselves as having some sort of disability, which is roughly the same number of people in the world as have blue eyes. And if you can imagine, you'd never make it so that people with blue eyes couldn't use your website because that's a ridiculous and B, it counts such a large number of people.
1: Yeah I think um some disabilities are um are more obvious not everyone who wears glasses would see that as a disability but without your glasses you might struggle to to read content or to um to experience the um the content the same way as um as other people but then some things are completely hidden so um being dyslexic myself it's something that I can choose to share with people I would definitely class it as a as a disability um but that's something that you can choose to share with people that you trust um, or that you're comfortable with rather than being obvious from the minute you step into a room like um if you have a, a cane because you're completely blind or you wear a hearing aid those things are much more obvious
0: and we'll talk in the next section about how to make your products more accessible and how to perform accessibility testing. But it's one of these things where it's not just a good idea. In certain parts of the world, it's literally law. I know in the UK there was the the nineteen ninety five Disability Discrimination Act, which which predates much of the internet, and it's it was updated in twenty ten to the Equality Act. I was at university in two thousand. I remember the world's. I think like the very very first big. Uh, web accessibility case, which was the the website for the Sydney two thousand Olympics, uh, got taken to court because they um, they'd not made enough efforts to make the site accessible.
1: Wow, yeah, I think what's um, a shame at the moment is that in this country, it's um, only government content that is legally required to um, meet accessibility requirements, whereas in America, it is much more widespread, and therefore you'll see a lot more sort of legal cases in America because it's well, you can actually sue um, a bit more easily. Um, But there's definitely cases um, over here. Um, One of the ones I mentioned in my um, upcoming Ministry of Testing uh, accessibility course is um, Domino's and how um, they were sued because um, a blind gentleman felt that he wasn't able to use their app or website. Um, And I believe um, that he won um, because why shouldn't he be able to order pizza like the rest of us?
0: Great. I really want pizza now. But before that, (laughs) let's talk about song number two.
1: Uh, so song number two is from um, one of my favourite films. Uh, it's a bit more uh, recent than the uh, previous selection. It's from The the Greatest Shaman and it's called um, Come Alive. Um, one of the reasons I really like it is because when it starts off, it's so slow and quiet that you really have to sort of pay attention and sort of know that it's playing and then it gets really um, upbeat and uplifting and it It's one of the upbeat songs in the film, which has got many peaks and troughs, I guess, a bit like life. Um, And I just can't help but join in whenever I hear this song play. So um, enjoy.
0: I see it in your eyes You believe that lie That you need to hide
1: your face Afraid to step outside So you lock the door But don't you stay there
0: That was the cast of The Greatest Showman with the song Come Alive. So if you want to get started with accessibility testing, if you want to get in before it becomes a legal imperative, how's the best way to get started?
1: Um, It's a really good question because it can feel like a really big, scary topic. Um, But one of the ways that I started was um, just by trying to experience um, a website or an app that bit differently. So um, if, like me, you normally use an external mouse Um, when you're using your computer, try unplugging the mouse and covering the trackpad. So that's going to force you to try and navigate by keyboard only, which some people do need to do. You've also got trying to close your eyes and navigate through. And what that does is it reminds you about familiarity. So when you are typing in, like say your name, your first name, your surname, your email address, that those are the orders that those fields should be in. And if it went like first name, email address, surname, you wouldn't be able to tab through as easily. I think things like having a look at content in um, black and white mode, um, having the sound off. So we talked about trying subtitles, not everywhere. has got subtitles. um, And just thinking about someone in your life that might be using it in a different way. So you could have a grandma um, that struggles to um, hold a mouse still. It could be your partner's got, um, wears glasses. It could be that, um, you know we, we talked about earlier having like a baby sleeping next to you your partner there's there's normally something in one's life that one can apply to it and when you make it that bit more personal it makes it that bit easier to relate to
0: yeah I personally have had some experience with what we called no keyboard Fridays which was when I worked for a company that produced desktop software it was really complex mathematical algorithm software that was you know completely custom GUI and nothing out of the box at all, just really, really unfriendly stuff. And the days in which you put your keyboard to one side and said, actually, how can people use this? It's um, it's very eye-opening. I also was fortunate enough to work for a very large multinational who had an accessibility department which was staffed by people, which included some people who had um, actual impairments that required them to use accessibility tools. So, I've had experience of people coming into my office and trying to use our software while um, something like JAWS a Screen Reader sits there and reads through our GUI, and we're like, "Going, this is impenetrable." Not least because if you if you've ever tried something, you know, as as a tester, you, you know, trying out JAWS to see what it's like, and it reads out. Uh, you know, normal speed, it goes, you know, file menu, edit menu, view menu. People who use the software don't read it at that speed because they've, life's too short. They, they read things at like three or four times the speed. And you're just listening to this stuff that coming out of their phone or their computer going, I have no idea this is how our stuff was being accessed.
1: It is really interesting. I, I had um, a similar insight when I worked um, at Test Partners. Oh, yeah, I don't know how many years ago. Yeah, Let's just say a few years ago now. Um, and it really does give you an interesting insight, because as much as you can imagine what it must be like, if you're able to see someone trying to navigate your content using different technology, it's and you see the struggle that, that they have and you think, well, I want them to buy my product. I want them to use my use my tool. Um, I need to I, you know, I, I need to help them.
0: And I think one of the really good things about accessibility is because there are things like written guidelines, you've got the WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is yeah, a list of all, all the things that you should be trying to do with, with your websites, for example. Um, it means that there's a prevalence of tools that will actually scan through your pages and say, actually, X, Y, and Z things are going to contravene these guidelines. I mean, the most obvious ones is things, the classic thing of your images don't have alt tags. Um, yeah. so you, can, you can get insight into your application very quickly. I think the danger of those tools is um, what you don't want to do is um, you're not trying to pass the test. You're trying to make your con- your content more usable, as you said at the start. So, for example, if you have a picture of a cat and you add an alt text saying this is a picture of a dog, you've passed the guidelines, but you've also you've not given any particularly useful information.
1: Definitely. And I think also it depends upon the context. So if the whole reason of having that picture there is because you want to demonstrate a ginger cat, um, and how difficult it is to see a ginger cat against a brick wall, you know, that's a really weird example. But there's no point just saying this is a cat, because that doesn't translate the reason for having the imagery. So you don't want to over communicate. So if it is just a cat, then you can just say this is a cat. But if the image is trying to convey much more than that, then it's only really fair to people that can't see the image. To give them a, a, fair, a fair representation of what, of what it is. Mm.
0: And nevertheless, there are a lot of these tools out there that can, that can help you to get started, be it whether you're working on web or desktop software. I mean, I, they've been around for ages. One of my very first pre university jobs, I did a summer job building the local council's website for them from scratch, which I did it in wow. like six weeks. I, I know it would be like a year long undertaker for someone these days, but um, they just hired it out to two students. And we did it in six weeks and we gave it a quick pass in a tool that um, was around at the time called Bobby. I don't know whether Bobby is actually still around, um, but um, it's again, a very ba- very basic. Let's go through your content and see what, see where you're contributing guidelines. Um, one of the ones I use quite a lot today is one I've only ever seen written down and never said it. I think it might, it might be pronounced PALI. It's P-A-1-1-Y, where that stands for accessibility. Um, there are various flavors of pally. one of which is actually it plugs into continuous integration, so you can have your pull request say, you know, your accessibility has got 8% worse today, which is, is useful information to get.
1: Definitely. I think um, there's also tools like Wave and, and Lighthouse, which um, I guess it depends upon how you like to be fed information. So... If you're new to accessibility testing and you get a report from one of these automated tools, it can be very overwhelming, the amount of information that it throws at you. So I guess you need to be prepared for that if you're going to go um, with one of these tools that touches every area, whereas there are tools that let you look at um, individual um, content. So. Um, There's a really interesting tool called Color Contrast Analyzer, which allows you to um, compare the difference between the foreground and the background. So, for example, the text on the background and what the difference between the two, it will create a ratio. And if that ratio isn't strong enough, it will fail the the different levels of, of the WCAG guidelines. And so if you've got like pale yellow on a white background... That's inaccessible to even your average person, let alone somebody that's got a disability. So, those sorts of things can be really helpful for making it clearer for everybody and not just people with disabilities.
0: Yeah, there's a whole string of uh, really useful tools that are getting name checked today. So I'm going to make sure that the show notes uh, on this episode has all those in there so that people don't frantically scribble them all down. But uh, in the next section, we'll get into talking a bit more about how you start to fix these issues when you find them. Uh, In the meantime, we're at the halfway point song-wise. This uh, this song means a lot to me. Uh, As someone with, as as previously mentioned, a a young child, I hear this song at least two or three times a day during nappy changes. Um, Deborah, what's your reason for picking this song?
1: Um, I guess it shows my age um, a little bit that I am a great fan of um, The Witch Doctor by The Cartoons. Um, It's a really great song from my childhood. It brings back um, really lovely memories. Um, I believe I know all of the words, which probably frustrates anybody who's with me when we're listening to the song because you don't get a chance to hear The Cartoons sing it. It's it's just me. Uh, It's really fun. And I guess it reminds me... Um, of a simpler time you know things are quite um crazy at the moment and um i just think you know this song just takes takes me back to a to a simpler time
0: i told the witch doctor i was in love with you i told the witch doctor i was in love with you and then the witch doctor he told me what to do he told me I If our editors are doing their job, you didn't just hear me singing Cartoons Witch Doctor, the third song (laughs) choice today. (laughs) So on the subject of accessibility, we started reading off a whole list of tools that you can use to start finding where issues exist in your product. Once you found them, though, it's the age old problem. We've only got so many hours in the day. There's so many problems we can fix. The problem I've always seen in the past with getting accessibility issues fixed is that they tend to get bundled in with being UX problems. You know, you want to you know, it's a cosmetic slash nice to have change. How do you avoid falling into that trap?
1: It's a it can it can be a real struggle. There's definitely um, some of them which have got other avenues that you can go down. So, for example, if you have alt text or it's alternative text is that is that is the full name, um, which is having text represent your image for people that don't see images that gets picked up um, by SEO, and so that's another sort of route into getting something like that um, fixed or improved, um, which can sort of trigger the conversation about, Oh, okay. What, what else can we do? Um, I think also a lot of accessibility issues are quick and easy fixes um, that are quite simple using free tools. And so um, if developers have got, you know, 20 minutes on the, at the end of a Friday, they don't want to pick up a big new piece of work. They want to do something small. that's going to make a difference. And that it comes comes into getting other people interested um, and knowledgeable. So um, you know, sharing how easy these are these things are to fix if you if if you know a bit more about it, you share that with your team. Um, I think pairing with people to show them that these issues exist and they affect real people, and talking to some real people. Um, and when it, when it comes down to it, it is about getting more customers and getting more money. And would be stupid to say we're not interested <laughs> if it comes down to that.
0: Yeah. yeah, for as much as accessibility issues have been around for a long time, one thing that really, really has improved in recent years is browser support for uh, getting your, your sites accessible. Um, again, support for WCAG is built into browsers like Chrome, Firefox. I assume also Edge, but who uses Edge? this podcast is not sponsored by edge Uh, (laughs) 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 but uh, i think one other good thing to do is um we've talked a bit about how there clearly is going to be growing legal imperative to do these things if you start to think of your accessibility issues as another kind of technical debt that you're just building upon you generally try to avoid having too much tech debt so again like you say these things that you can knock off easily that have big improvement you should tackle now because it's the right thing to do Exactly. In terms of actually finding the accessibility issues, we went through a few tools and scanners that you can use to do it. But it's another one of these things where we always say we want everybody to be responsible for testing. How do you get accessibility on on everyone's radar?
1: Yeah, it's a a really good question because... It's not, people don't think that it affects them. They don't think it's necessary. Um, I um, I took an interest in it um, a while ago and I sort of became an advocate for it um, at Bloom and Wild. And I spoke to a few people and I showed them some real examples of the small changes that can make a big difference. Um, I, I told them about my um, hearing impairment and my dyslexia and the things that really, really, really help me when I'm um, viewing content Um, and I told them about the percentages of real people out there who won't be able to use our website who won't be able to experience the joy of sending and receiving flowers and sometimes and I think it varies upon the person sometimes tapping into empathy can work sometimes tapping into the money side of it the fact that these tools are free The fixes or the features are um, quick and easy and simple. um, And it's something different. You know, people can get a bit bored about working on the same boring things. Knowing they're making a difference can actually really grasp people's interest.
0: I think it's all about identifying the stakeholders who this really clicks with, who who can make this happen. I, I remember at a previous company, we had a like an all hands staff meeting where one of the people presenting at it presented a a usability workshop video that we'd done that showed someone with impairments who just could not use our site because they they couldn't fathom the way around it, and we're like, this is a decent sized subset of our customer base. You know, we we need to take care of these things for the business's sake, if nothing else
1: exactly and like the percentage that you talked about earlier with you know people with blue eyes and you wouldn't you wouldn't exclude them if you need something more personal to people you could talk about we wouldn't exclude people with beards or people with kids you know you can relate these examples to the people that you're talking to
0: well we've had some great resources so far deborah um we're going to talk a bit in the next section about the resource that you're in the middle of launching which is your ministry of testing accessibility course but before that your penultimate song selection today
1: Uh, So this song is an oldie but a goodie. Um, I think one of my first memories of this song is from uh, Moulin Rouge, uh, good old Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. I love Elton John's version of this song. It's a bit more classic um, and we actually chose it as our first dance song at our wedding. Um, So it brings me proper proper joy um when i hear it now and it's just um it reminds me of that wonderful day um and the words of the song are really they're really special and when, when you've got that person that um you can really sort of look into their eyes and these words really mean something um, it's really special so this song you know a lot of songs um your favorites change over the years but this is definitely a favorite for life
0: if i was a sculptor That was your song by Elton John, certainly a classic. And we, for as much as people pick lovely songs on this podcast, it's taken a while to knock off the real classics, and, and there is one of them. <laughs> so we've been speaking today about accessibility, and on a slight tangent, you actually put together the finishing touches for an accessibility training course for the Ministry of Testing, which I assure you is a complete coincidence. You're someone who applied for the podcast about three years ago, and you've, the time has just come round. So <laughs> how is your uh, the training course prep going?
1: It's going really well. Um, the course should be out uh, in April of this year, which is very exciting. Um, it's been uh, a lot of hard work, um, not just by myself, but um, Mark and Sarah from Ministry of Testing have um, dedicated a lot of time to me and my content as well. And I'm, I'm very excited for people to be able to, um, to take the course.
0: I think this, of all times, the the past 12 months everyone has had, the the, the release of anything that you have produced has to be celebrated. There there are so many more things you have to overcome, be it in terms of mental or finding the right workspace where there's nothing else on fire around you. Um, So yeah, it's fantastic to get there. What's the path been like from the very first moment you had the idea to do this course to actually putting it together?
1: Um, So I actually submitted this idea for a uh, a talk at um, Tespash Manchester uh, a couple of years ago. And um, originally the talk was um, rejected, but I'd also submitted it for a workshop, which was accepted, which was really exciting. Um, But when I was told that the um, submission for the talk had been rejected, I was obviously quite um, upset because it was a topic that I'm quite passionate about and I wanted to share with people. And I think it was, um, Mark pulled me aside. At, um, I think it was maybe the test bash just before that one, um, and said, look, the reason that we, um, you know, rejected or didn't didn't take the idea for a talk is because actually we think it would make a much better course. It's much more, um, interactive. There's much more content that's worth sharing with people. So, um, I was actually approached to write the course, which was very exciting. Um, I still think of myself as like, you know, relative newbie I say that I've been in the industry for 10 years, but I think it really helped to give my imposter syndrome, um, a good, a good kicking. And with the support of ministry of testing, um, and, and, and and some hard work, I'm I'm not going to lie. It's definitely, um, it's definitely taken um, a chunk of time, but it's, very exciting seeing um, the progress, um, the, the great feedback, the constructive feedback. Um, and like you said, in, in, in a time where things are crazy and things are on fire and we're feeling a bit low sometimes, to be able to get this content out is, is really exciting.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since i put together any training material for the MIT website. I think the last time I did some was, it must have been 2014 or 2015. I don't know where the years are going and I need to get back into doing some. When I, I last did some, it was very much kind of a, to be honest, to review my own stuff, I, I feel it was quite dry. I think it was good material, but I, I did it in a very dry fashion. It was very, very sort of um, scripted. I, I was almost reading off a, off, a, off a sheet. But how do you keep your content sort of dynamic and lively when you're trying to engage people for you know a number of hours
1: it's definitely been a learning curve this is the first time that I've done anything like this you have to uh, learn to listen to your own voice um which uh, is a struggle um but I've gotten used to that I think also the um the prep work that I did with Mark and Sarah so writing up the lesson plans the objectives that you wanted for for each lesson uh we then I then put together um slides and I wrote a script to go along with each of the slides now because of my dyslexia I'm a little bit slower at, at reading and processing things. So it, it took me longer to put together because I would record one slide at a time. And because I was stopping and starting so much, I was able to sort of see that note I'd written to myself of, you know, smile, sit up straight, sound excited. Um, whereas I think if you do talk for a long period of time, you can maybe forget about the speed at which you're talking and the tone, etc. So although I thought that was going to work against, it worked against me in terms of it took me longer, but I think it worked with me in terms of it made the content more um, exciting and accessible. Well, that's what, that's what Mark and Sarah have told me. We'll see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. The Accessible, <laughs> accessible course that's coming your way in hopefully April. Uh, we'll, let, let's wait and see. And if you're interested in creating similar content for the MOT, um, you can find contact details um, on the Ministry Testing website, which is one of the many, many things linked in to today's show notes. Uh, it would also be remiss of me to not mention there's also a, a whole load of uh, existing accessibility resources in various formats, be it um, conference talks at Test Bashes, or there was uh, the last Test Bash online. Louise Gibbs, previous guest, did a experience report of how she explored an application to find some accessibility issues. So whatever your flavor would be, whether you want short form or long form, there's a lot more that you can find on the website and uh, in today's show notes. But before that, let's tick off one more box, your fifth and final song choice today, Deborah.
1: Um, so this song, um, it's by Florence and the Machine. Um, it's called You've Got the Love. Um, I think it's a really um, great song. Um, I already liked it. And then um, it was used at um, the memorial of, of a dear friend of mine that I lost a while ago. And so it's, it's tinged with sadness, but there's also a joy in like remembering her and her life whenever I hear it. Um, and I just think it's got a really good um like beat and a really good feel to it so um it's definitely definitely a favorite sometimes i feel like throw my hands up in the air i know i can count on you
0: sometimes i feel like saying lord i just don't care but you've got the love i need to see me through sometimes it's deep. That was Florence and the Machine with You Got the Love, Deborah's fifth and final song choice today. And Deborah has one more thing to bring to the desert island with her, which is a book of your choice.
1: So I've never really been a, a really big book reader, um, partly because of my dyslexia. Uh, my memory is awful. So I used to read read long book i'd try and read a long book and i'd forget one chapter to the next um but the book that i have chosen which i actually managed to read in uh the year that we've just had it's called the year of yes uh it's by shonda rhymes who um i didn't know had written a book i just knew her as the um the writer and producer of some of my favorite epic TV dramas. Um, So she um, is known for Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. And basically her book is about how she decided that for an entire year she was going to say yes. So all of the things that scared her, the things that she would instinctively say no to. And that meant saying no to some other things and it made saying Yes, to some things challenging and having to make compromises, but um, as a woman in a in a field where she was surrounded by men, there was an air of me feeling like I could um, relate to that. She talks about how she hasn't broken the glass ceiling by herself. Every woman before her has um, paved the way and made a crack in that glass. So she attributes her success to everyone around her, and she's just very humble about the success that she's had and I, it it makes for a really wonderful read
0: fantastic we've only got two or three autobiographies or memoirs of sorts on on the island bookshelf so far i think so i'll make sure that that gets added to the list that's on goodreads and i'll tell you what because we talk about it today uh, i'm making the executive decision that the island is now stocked with stocked with audiobook equivalents of all titles that have ever been on the podcast congratulations you get an audiobook you get an audiobook
1: yeah from an accessibility perspective that makes me very happy
0: there we go who said 2021 wasn't going to be great? <laughs> so, if people want to get in touch with you, Deborah, to find out more about uh, your interest in accessibility, or uh, to, to get some tips from you about how to put together a training course, for example, what are the best ways they can reach you?
1: Um, so, I'm I'm on Twitter. Um, I'll put my I'll give you my details to add to the bio. But it's Deborah underscore Read nineteen. Um, so you can find me on there. You can ask questions. You can tweet me. Um, you'll be able to find my course on Ministry of Testing as of around April time. Um, and hopefully when we're back to um, going to events, you can see my name on my name badge come up to me, say hi and give me a fright that someone knows who the hell I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: looking forward to it we, we tried to establish before i started recording when i first met you I, I feel like it was test press brighton maybe 2014 or 15 but again those numbers are getting further and further away and um yeah it's it long overdue we all get back together and i cannot wait for when it happens um in the meantime thank you very much deborah this has been a, a lot of fun particularly after a, a difficult personal work day uh, this has been a, a real breath of fresh air thank you very much for coming on the podcast
1: thank you for having me neil
0: and the business for the podcast. If you'd like to get hold of us, we're on Twitter at Tessa's Island. Uh, I, there's the aforementioned Goodreads list of all the books that people have picked. And there's a Spotify playlist of all the songs that people have picked in the past 43 episodes. If you'd like to appear on the podcast, there's also a link in the show notes to the Google form where I will get back to you uh, in less than three years. Sorry, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> um... It's a lovely
1: surprise to my inbox. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
0: And let's hope that 2021 is full of lots of nice prizes for all of us. I look forward to presenting to you again this time next month. See you all in February. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Uh, Tester's Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. The music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Tester's Island.